broadcasting from the Prairie Sportsman Studios. Presented by OnX. Know where you stand with OnX. <clears throat> We're not just a radio show anymore. Heck yeah. This is Sporting Journal Radio. That's right. Welcome to the show. I'm Brett Amundsen. Thanks for tuning in on this station here. By downloading the podcast or watching this on YouTube, make sure you like and share and subscribe to our channel. If you like the show, of course, if you don't like it, then I guess you probably won't. But hopefully you like what we've got for you this week uh, because we're going to talk fishing. We're going to talk ice fishing and uh, fishing for some different species. And then we're also going to talk about uh, what this weather is doing, this uh, snow and blizzard and the wind and what habitat needs to be on the landscape to protect our wildlife. Uh, Jared Wickland from Pheasants Forever is going to join us. And we also got Joe Henry. who will be back, of course, from Lake of the Woods. And we've got Dan Amundsen right over there. Hi. Dan, how's it going? I'm doing great. I'm having a day, though, but we're doing good. Yeah, what's going on? Don't worry about it. You'll fire me if I tell you. Probably not. But <laughs> We're having some equipment maybe. issues, but we're, we're getting there. Well, we have got more gear set up in here than we normally have. David Eckhart's right over there. Well, how, you going? how you doing, David? Doing good, doing good. We got all kinds of cameras, lights, monitors, computers. We're probably going to start a fire. A lot of cables right around here. <laughs> I don't want to call the fire department. <laughs> a lot of cables and then two dogs that just like to be in the middle of it. So things are getting unplugged, knocked over. Uh, we'll see if we can make it through the show without any major equipment failures. No promises. No promises at all whatsoever. Uh, David, I'm glad you made it driving up through the snow when we record this. Uh, when we recorded this that you're watching right now, there was uh, a lot of snow on the ground. Yeah, we got a lot of snow. At least the roads, they've got them all plowed now, so they were pretty clear. Getting out of my driveway was another another topic. How much snow do you think you got? Mm, five, six inches, but it likes to blow in. Yeah. So a couple of big drifts in the yard. It, that snow that we got on, uh, what day is it today? When, uh, Tuesday and Wednesday this week, it was, it all of a sudden, it, it was supposed to start, what, Monday night at 8 o'clock? And then it didn't start till about Tuesday at about 10 a.m. here. And when it started, it was just like, it was like somebody popped a balloon and just all the snow was coming out at yeah. once. Shook the snow globe. Yeah. It was so much snow coming down, but the difference I think between this storm and the one we had before was we didn't have the wind with it this right. time. So it was a lot easier to deal with. But uh, Dan, that, that lets you go fish in a couple of days. Oh, thank goodness it did. I was having a great time on the lake. The bite on certain spots has been good. Other spots have been terrible, but it's it's been good. And now this blizzard's here and travel's gonna be tricky and it makes me sad. It might shut down my bite, but that's okay. Uh, the long winter ahead of us. So we'll move on. Do you got a snowmobile, David? I do not. Yeah, you might need one. I've got a wheeler with tracks though. So oh, there you go. Yeah, you get, need one. get around, no problem. Yeah. That's, gosh, that's good to be a farmer. <laughs> gosh, I want one of those. I was looking at that. I might actually get a new wheeler, I think. Get one big enough for tracks. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what do you got, like an 800 or what do you got? Uh, 700. 700? Yeah. Well, what would you think about a three-wheeler? I've been thinking about the three-wheeler <laughs> yeah, game. Two tracks and a ski on the front. Wouldn't that That'd be, be sweet? Awesome. People do it. Big red. Oh, People do it. Sweet. I love three-wheelers. Did you see that video going around on Instagram? Well, it's probably been going around for a while, but it finally came through on my algorithm with my in reels. And it, it was just a bunch of random clips of guys on three-wheelers. And one of them, he was just like running. He was riding a wheelie and just shooting fireworks I off the back that, of the three-wheeler. Yeah. Was that in our group? Did that, yeah, I think I sent that, that to you. Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> well, I saw the one, I think I saw it today. There was a bunch of three-wheeler clips of spinning out. And, yep. 
I want to go buy the one. Ice. There's one. I know oh, where. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah I, but they float, right? Well, they float, but they usually yeah. float upside down. Well, <laughs> hey, better than sinking. That's a problem. I know where there's just one sitting out in the yard right now, covered in snow. A three wheeler? Yeah, we Sweet. should just go offer the I got guy one in like, my barn. Yeah. Well, I this big one red. Nah, one eighty five. Well, there's a big red sitting out in a yard that we should go. Ooh, big finesse. red. Mm-hmm. That's sweet. Anyways. Well, uh, <laughs> fishing conditions might get a little tough, so we're going to talk a little bit more about that uh, coming up later in the show. And uh, we should probably talk about who's, who's, uh, who our sponsors are this week. Should weekend. we talk about that? I Hang suppose. on. Give me a second. Because we got a new one this week, too. Uh, it's show season, so we're going to talk about uh, a lot of the shows that are going to be going on around the Midwest, uh, so much you might have to travel to. And uh, what what it's like to go to, you know, like the ice fishing show or game fair or the deer, deer and turkey classic uh, and what these shows have morphed into these days. We'll talk about that coming up in just a little bit. Are you ready, Dan? Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Here we go. All right. Good. This week we have on X hunt. Know where you stand with on X. Cool things coming from on X lately. Yeah. Lake of the Woods tourism. Lake of the Woods is the wallet capital. Plan a trip for this winter at Lake of the Woods MN.com. Live target match the hatch at live target lures.com. Haybill Heights Campground and Resort on Devil's Lake. Book a trip to Devil's Lake and fish out of a snow bear. Learn more at haybillheights.com. Alclair Audio. Save your hearing in the field with Alclair. Learn more at alclairoutdoors.com. Ottertail Lakes Country. Find your inner otter at ottertaillakescountry.com. Good bite up there happening right now. And Prairie Sportsman. The new season starts in just a few weeks. Well, you can watch episodes anytime at the Prairie Sportsman YouTube channel while you wait. Yeah, and Riverbend Resort, of course, up on Lake of the Woods. We're going to be heading up there in a couple of weeks uh, for an aglow event. If you're looking to do some ice fishing at Lake of the Woods, riverbendresort.com. And then the the Minnesota Deer and Turkey Classic is going to be back at Canterbury Park uh, this year. It's uh, going to be coming up March. Uh, let's see here, March. 11th, 10th, 11th, and 12th. Oh, can we make fun of you for not being prepared? <laughs> I'm trying to find it right now. Because uh, there's a lot of things going, because that's the same weekend as a couple of other shows that we're going to be at. Uh, Northwest Sports Show, we're going to be uh, be there for Taz and Lake Lodge. Uh, March 10th, 11th, and 12th, uh, mndeerclassic.com has all the info. Lee and Tiffany will be there. Uh, Nick Munt is going to be there from Bone Collector this year. Uh, Melissa Bachman will be there. Uh, I think I'll be there. I think I'm going to be doing some sort of appearance there. Uh, you guys can come. We can all go sit there at the booth. <laughs> Do I want have to? to? <laughs> I don't want to be so. Can I have my own slot and not have to sit with you? Oh, wow. Wow. This is what this wow, is what a rough I've, crowd. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you can bring your antlers in and get them scored for free. You should bring your antlers in. I could. You should. Um, that well. You know what antlers I'm referring to. Oh yeah, no, the, the one I shot this year. Yeah, I know I what I know what those score. I don't, I don't need any help with that one. But uh, yeah, that'll be a good time. Canterbury Park. Canterbury Park is kind of a cool uh, location for this, David. That you've been to the one at in Can- you've gone to it at Canterbury yep. Park. Yep, I've been there once. It's kind of nice. And then if you want to go uh, play poker, you can do that one right there too. But um, it's. Did you ever go to it when it was at the state fair or in Blaine or anything? No, no. I that was the first time I'd ever gone to it when it was at Canterbury. Now it's changed a little bit. It's changed owners uh, over the, over the years, and it's kind of moved locations. And uh, I'll tell you what, the Canterbury Park 
is a great spot because there's a lot of parking there. Uh, it's easy to get to right off the highway and you can pull in lots of places to park, walk right in. And then it's, it's a big sprawling place. Like every time you, every time you think you've reached the end of uh, the vendors, you go around a corner or down another hallway and all of a sudden there's a, a bunch of other booths, huge, huge deer racks there. I mean, like the, the mounts that you see at this thing is, is unreal. Uh, so the Minnesota Deer and Turkey Classic now presented by select Heartland Chevy dealers uh, coming March 10th, 11th and 12th to Canterbury Park in Shakopee. A um, bunch of other shows, of course, Pheasant Fest. We're going to talk to Jared Wickland about, excuse me, about Pheasant Fest coming up at the Minneapolis Convention Center. That is going to be uh, in February and the dates 17th, 18th, 19th. Thank you, Dan. You're welcome. Appreciate that. Got you, man. I'm prepared. Uh, Northwest Sports <laughs> Show uh, is running the same weekend as the Deer Classic. So uh, what's kind of nice about that is what I'll do is go to both. And they're not too far away. It's like 15 minutes apart between the two different uh, two different places. So a lot of times you can make a weekend out of it. If you got to travel a little bit, go to one, go to the other. It's kind of nice. Do a little bit of fishing at the Northwest Sports Show, content uh, research, and do some, obviously, the hunting stuff at the Minnesota Deer and Tricky Classic after that. So, and then I... We're going to be traveling. We were going to be doing SHOT Show in Vegas. Uh, you guys have never been to SHOT before, have you? No, not yet. It's uh, it's kind of wild, and I, I'm sure we'll get you there, Dan, at some point. Um, I was looking forward to going this year, but uh, something's come up, and we're not going to be going. Sounds like chance we might uh, be doing some hunting instead, hopefully, which will be which is always kind of fun. That's a fair trade-off, I think. I'll, yeah. uh, <laughs> I'd rather hunt than talk about hunting. Yeah. Well, and shots fun. It's just it's like five days in Vegas. Yeah, that's that's too that's long. too much. Yeah. That's too much time in Vegas. Oh, Way too much Vegas. You know, when we did it, I've only been there once, and I ended up spending like seven days, seven or eight days in Vegas straight because then I ended up kind of staying. But we didn't. We just didn't. We didn't really party. We didn't drink. We didn't. We just kind of worked the show all day, and then uh, and then just kind of went back. We rented a we rented like a condo. It was like three of us and just kind of stayed in that condo and, and worked and that's not so bad if you can just kind of work it and it's not so bad and then i stayed for a couple of days i met up with some friends and then and then uh you know did vegas things after that so that wasn't been that was only two nights that's that's that's, the, that's appropriate that's, yeah, that's yeah that's the appropriate okay seven even oh, even without like working you can work wherever but do you really want to pick vegas to do your work it wasn't fun. I mean, a lot of distractions. A lot of distractions, yeah. and you gotta you like at least here. If I'm working, I can look out and look at a food plot. <laughs> the kind of food plots in Vegas aren't. There's no pheasants <laughs> those eating. Are, those those buffets. are buffets. Yeah, yeah they're buffets. <laughs> I call them human food plots. Um, you know, uh, over the years, too, uh, these shows have have kind of changed. You know, some shows have come and gone because the internet really changed, really changed why you'd need to go to uh, a show you know you might want to go to learn about a resort somewhere or a des fishing destination or a lake now you can do that online but what are for you guys that still like to go because david what sh you were talking about the ice show yeah you like to go to that one the saint paul ice show yep why do you like to go to that why do you still go to a show like that i like i like to see the new products touch them you know really study them without you know you can't just look at a jig online and be like, oh, I wonder how that works, you know, or how's that, the action of that's going to work. And some of those booths, you can test them out or, you know, actually hold it and get a feel for it. And I don't know, that's why I like to go. And then there's always a lot of cool new stuff that you don't, you wouldn't normally see. So. Yeah. I mean, I think going for product, product testing 
is still uh, right. still obviously a, a good a good reason to go. Dan, what do you what shows do you like? I mean, I like Game Fair. I don't go yeah. to a whole lot anymore. The problem is, you know, it's not a problem. It's it's not a bad thing. But we are always working the shows now when I go. Yeah. So it's like it's kind of one of those things. Do I really want to go to a show when I'm not working because it feels like I'm working? But I still don't mind them. Game Fair is a good time. I like if you can bring a gun and your dog to a show, that's that's a good time. <laughs> right. so you can't complain about that one. Yeah. And kind of the same thing. I mean, heck, you could go grab a shotgun and shoot a shotgun at Game Fair and test it out. It's kind of the same same thing you're talking about, David. But otherwise, it's kind of gone by the wayside. I mean, it's kind of like Black Friday. Black Friday used to be lineup after Thanksgiving and you go shop and now... You just shop online for like three straight days through Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Cyber Monday. Shows are kind of the same way. They'll they'll hold a these places will seem to hold a, a show deal, and yeah, you can go buy it at the show. You can also just buy it online. They'll run the same deal to try to sometimes sometimes, but sometimes, it, it's yeah. becoming more and more common, right? So like even that draw is not always there. I know there have been good deals. Like at the I I heard of a killer deal on live scopes at the ice show this year that mm. was only a, a show deal so that'd be yeah. an incentive to go but other than that some of that's going by the wayside but it is still fun and especially for us we see we know we always have a lot of friends that work these shows so that's kind of fun to just go go see all these people in one room that we otherwise wouldn't get to see i think that's the best part about it i mean i always used to when i'd go to game fair and that's probably my favorite show i would always wait to the last day of game fair to go buy my stuff and i missed out on a lot of things because they'd be sold out or picked over or not my size but that's usually when i found some pretty good deals on things and, and you know when it comes to even like taz and lake lodge we'll have show only specials on on stuff that we won't we won't advertise online and things like that but I think that's the beauty for me is not having to work them anymore. You know, a lot of times we'll be doing some work when we go to these shows, but we're not we're not running booths anymore. And man, I used to just dread having to go set up a booth and you'd sit there all day. And, you know, it's always nice talking to people and you're obviously doing business and uh, it's important, but it's a lot of work. Oh, that's set up and tear down. Like, that was the best part of iCast is we didn't have to set up or yeah. <laughs> rolled right in work at the booth and uh, rolled right yeah. out. That In that booth, when we had Minnesota Sporting Journal Magazine, oh. Matt Soberg, we bought the booth from Matt, and it was part of the deal. And it was beautiful. It was like a log cabin kind of front, and it was, but it was heavy. <laughs> it was huge. We'd need a trailer half the time to lug that thing around. Well, I finally did get it in the back of my Silverado. Yeah, I remember one day, it was the last day of game fair, and you were great at this towards the end. You would find a way to be on some other version of work the last day and all of a sudden it was Probably just buying stuff yeah i know i don't know what you and you went to like drag races at brainerd once you've gone goose hunting during shows drag races. i don't okay. know one time in game for you just up and went to the races in brainerd um mm. but this time i don't know where you were you might have been doing some stuff but you were gone and so it's just me and my dad that tore down and he had his work ford escape or whatever Oh and boy. we somehow crammed that whole thing in that. I remember just sitting up, really? sitting on the front seat. Like we had to scoot the front seat so far forward. So I was like pressed against the dash, up, up against the dash on all the way back to Woodbury. Like if we got into an accident, I would have yeah. died. Well, the airbag, the airbag would have killed me. <laughs> but we, we did it. But well, yeah, it was a cool booth, but I don't, I don't miss that one. Well, that, I mean, that was always part of the problem. You know how much we travel now? Well, I was traveling a little bit back then too. And we'd have to travel during some of these shows. And thankfully uh, you and you, you know your dad my brother wade would would uh thankfully work these shows and do a lot of setup and teardown for me when i couldn't be there so i really appreciated that and um but i believe me i tore i 
set that booth up and tore it down plenty of times. Yeah, I know. That's why you got there. good at just somehow. <laughs> oh, I got busy. this thing. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. How do they just back. some oh, work, you guys are done? Oh, work awesome. deal at the... Oh, no, I missed it. EIR <laughs> this year. Oh. Yeah, that's so weird because I only went... I, I think I only went to races there once, maybe twice. Well, that was probably the time. <laughs> you were there. I know you were there. <laughs> no. I, I probably you had some, more fun. I'm sure you did. <laughs> <laughs> well, in any uh, case, I'm really excited about these shows. Uh, Pheasant Fest is a great time, especially if you like dogs and hunting. I mean, to me, like Pheasant Fest is essentially like Game Fair, only indoors. And granted, it's more upland focused than waterfowl focused. But Game Fair is kind of half upland focused. So it's a lot like Game Fair, only indoors uh, in downtown Minneapolis. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that one. And... Um, you know, Deer Classic and uh, Deer Classic will be great, and uh, and then we're I've got to go to Chicago for one for Tasm All Canada Show, which get um, your affairs in order. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I'm uh, it'll be good to see the guys from Saskatchewan and, and be a part of that one. So anyway, all right. Uh, if you're going to shows, if you're planning to go to shows, let us know. Comment below. Tell us what your favorite shows are and why you still uh, like going to shows as well. We're going to talk about Pheasant Fest with Jared Wickland coming up. We'll also talk about uh, what kind of winter habitat is necessary to keep pheasants and other wildlife uh, alive through some of these winter storms that we've been having this year. And we'll get a lake conditions and fishing report from Joe Henry up at Lake of the Woods coming up. It's ice fishing season and time to plan your trip to Riverbend Resort on Lake of the Woods. Stay at the Lakeside Resort along the Rainy River in one of their new cabins and enjoy delicious meals and hot or cold beverages in the Miles Lab Barn Grill. Or stay in one of their comfortable sleeper houses on the ice complete with a TV, stove, and lots of walleyes right beneath your feet. You also have the option of staying at their motel, the Walleye Inn, located in Bidet. Book your ice fishing trip to famous Lake of the Woods today at riverbendresort.com. That's riverbendresort.com. 852 million acres of public land, 147 million private properties, all in the palm of your hand. The number one hunting GPS app just got better. With hundreds of custom map layers, 3D and topographic maps, you can easily scout on the road or at home before you go. And now you can get important weather details, CWD detection, and even know what crops have been planted where. Get the most trusted hunting GPS app ever made. Onyx. Know where you stand with Onyx. Looking for winter adventure? Might as well pick a place with over 1,000 lakes. Ottertail County, Minnesota is in the middle of everywhere, offers a simpler pace, and has something for everyone. Find your inner otter at ottertaillakescountry.com. This is Sporting Journal Radio. Thanks for tuning in on this station right here by downloading the podcast, maybe streaming on demand at sportingjournal.com, or maybe you're watching this at YouTube. Thank you very much. I'm Brett Amundsen. And, you know, the end of this hunting season depression is starting to set in a little bit. And as people celebrate the new year and begin their resolutions of diets and, and exercise, I'm wishing for a bit more time in the field. And it, it seems as though I just never get enough time out there. Fall's just never quite long enough for me. And I can't complain about how much I hunted because I hunted pretty much every day. So I can't really complain about it. I just always, always want more. And thankfully there are some potential bird hunting trips in the works, including one to, to South Dakota since their pheasant season runs to the end of January. Um, but will the amount of snow that we've gotten affect that decision? Should these birds and other wildlife be, be given a break at this point uh, to weather the weather? 
Thank you very much. See what I did there? Uh, we're gonna wow. dis- Thank you. Yeah, we're going to discuss that and more with Jared Wickland from Pheasants Forever right now. Jared, how are you doing? Hey, Brett. I'm great. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on, and happy Happy New Year to you both. Yeah, Happy New Year. Now, I, w- I want to talk about Pheasant Fest that's coming up. It's back in Minnesota this year. It's it's uh, probably about a month away or so, and I, I want to uh, discuss what why people should go to Pheasant Fest this year. But first, let's just jump right into what's happening right now. This weather, it ain't good, is it? No, if you're uh, if you're a grassland bird, or you know, I, probably not even probably not even just for grassland birds, whitetails, whatever. Um, these first couple storms that we've had, particularly that first one that lasted for three or four days with uh, ice, followed by heavy wet snow, followed by high winds and low temperatures, um, that's a that's a real downer if if you're a grassland bird or other wildlife and. Um, I'm not sure about you and, but I I know I've seen your videos and I got out, uh, last Tuesday before the, before the season ended. Um, there's a significant amount of snow in the pheasant range. Yeah. There's a picture up on the screen there. Um, there, there weren't any pheasants, uh, really in, in any of the grassland cover, so to speak of, um, there's enough snow on the landscape. We are hunting South central Minnesota, um, probably 12 to 13 inches on the ground, just depending where you were and like, you know five, six foot drifts, uh, from, from the wind that we had and the birds already just going into the new year here, don't have a lot of places left to, to, to congregate, um, and, and get out of harsh weather. So it's, uh, it's definitely a factor that we're thinking about right now and thinking about our friend, uh, Mr. Pheasant. So, yeah, I, you know, I, I found, and I, I kind of felt bad about it because a lot of my late season hunts, I'd be driving around and you'd see all the pheasants along the roads or in the fields. And as I'd pull up to, you know, some land that I was going to hunt at, a lot of times I'd be pushing those birds off of what it, wherever they were, you know, if they were feeding, scratching in the snow and yep. uh, feeding those fields, and then they'd fly into cover and then you'd go chase them. And while I kind of felt bad about it, after about 15 minutes of plowing through those cattails, I didn't quite feel as bad anymore because they could fly, they could fly over all the hard spots. And then yeah. uh, they had little holes that they could tuck into. And I was, as, as much as a lot of the cattails were filled in, uh, there were a, a number of places I found where they could tunnel in and run around underneath. Now, not saying that's ideal, of, of course, but it's, it's definitely better than the alternative of not being able to get underneath and, and hide out from the elements a little bit. So... A lot of my late season hunts involved, you know, just shooting one bird maybe, and I was pretty happy with that. And I'd just go out for an hour or so, uh, you know, kind of in yep. the afternoon and and uh, try to try to get a bird I can if I could. I'd bring both dogs just to get them both some exercise, let them run around a little bit. Uh, but it was interesting. I hunted a couple of times, Jared, where I went into some cattail sloughs. Ah, that picture of Mika, I love that shot right there. That bird, Jared, was kind <laughs> of interesting because we pulled up to a spot to hunt. And there were kind of some birds along the road, uh, you know, on the gravel there. And there were there was one rooster and a couple of hens, and the hens got up and flew. And I watched the rooster, and the rooster couldn't fly. So I don't know if he'd he'd gotten you know dinged earlier with a gun mm-hmm. you know with a gunshot at some point or what his problem was, but he couldn't fly. I opened up, I took took my old dog Meek out and uh, and let her let her have a crack at it, and she was able to plow through the snow. It was some pretty deep snow. I wasn't sure if she was going to get there. So I actually let tiny out to see, you know, to, to go get that rooster and just kind of, you know, more or less put him out of his misery. And, uh, 
And Mika did not let the little dog beat her to it. She went out there and got it and brought it back. Mika, and, Mika. Yeah, and and that was the Mika only fe- that was the only pheasant we got that day, actually. So, um, but he was I, uh, he was hurting. I too uh, have gotten a lot of man. I'm seeing a lot of pheasants on the side of the road. It's you know it's great to see, and I'm like, well, not necessarily because yeah. they're they're coming out there because they they're you know looking for looking for grit, looking for scratch, looking for food. Um, and uh, the pheasants that I've seen so far, they they seem okay. Um, but we've we've gotten we have gotten reports, especially that first big blizzard before Christmas. Um, of, you know, dogs coming out with frozen pheasants and, and some locales over pheasant country. Um, and then we did, we did a winter report actually, uh, not too long ago about that first storm. And, um, uh, you know, people that were out hunting were finding that the birds didn't necessarily have, uh, a ton of fat on them, uh, when they were, when they were getting field dressed. So, mm. um, little, little bit concerning, uh, especially with the, the depth of a snow, you know, pheasants aren't necessarily like a, a turkey or some of those other animals that can really dig through, through deep areas. But, uh, you know, rarely does a pheasant starve. Um, they've, uh, they've got a couple different things in their back pocket that they, that they use, not just, not just grain, uh, out of a field, but, uh, they eat a lot of native sources as well, uh, which can really help them out this time of year. Well, I've been fortunate that I've been able to hunt around some pretty good cover, uh, and, and food plots and, you know, some, some habitat that's designed to help wildlife. And the last pheasant I shot this year was, was the biggest rooster I shot all year. And he was full of fat. Um, he was real healthy, but that's excellent. A couple of days earlier, I did find I found one dead hen so far. So that that wounded rooster and whatever happened to him, I don't know. But I did find one dead hen. But I've I've seen uh, a lot of birds now. Again, I'm I'm in some pretty good habitat uh, where I get to hunt at times, uh, which which was which made it really interesting because I walked a a, a huge slough the other day, and yeah. it's one that historically has been full of pheasants late season. And I walked the, the entire thing and I saw two hens in it. Um, now, the difference was it's the middle of the day and I drove around the entire section afterwards and everywhere I looked in all the fields, there was pheasants out there scratching out in the field. So yep. that yep. M- more or less was just a question of timing for me. But it's uh, it, this year, the late season tactics, it's it's if you're going to hunt, it was definitely you, you definitely had to employ some different tactics to be successful. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've seen everybody, you know, from, um, just focusing on, focusing on shelter belts, which is where a lot of them are right now to, uh, you know, putting on the snowshoes. I've had a lot of questions from people. Hey, I, I read an article you wrote a couple of years ago about late season hunting in South Dakota. And now that it goes through the end of January, can you give me any tips for going out there? And my biggest tip right now is like, just, you, you need to, uh, take stock of, of what the, um, of, of what the snow depths are. I mean, there's a lot of people that live out there that are saying, you know, you're, you're going to have a really, really hard hunt. Even if you can get to the birds, by the time you break through all that and make enough noise, a lot of them, a lot of them are going to say, see you later. So yeah. I think snow, snow depth really, uh, is sort of the name of the game right now for, for late season pheasant hunters across the range, except when you start, cause even Nebraska, Northern Iowa, um, you know, the snow's building up there too, but, um, you know, Minnesota, and the Dakotas and parts of Montana specifically, they've got a lot of snow. 
um, and they're getting more from this this the storm that we're experiencing right now. So yeah, I think it it really depends on a person's your physical shape. Uh, it's not it's not easy walking through no. three, four, five foot snow drifts, and and you know that, and you're you're a guy that's two feet taller than I am. So. <laughs> <laughs> and that that definitely plays a factor. I you know I uh, as I as I've from when I started pheasant hunting, I'd hear people say that about late season. Oh, you like that late season stuff. Cause you're, you're tall and lanky. And I just be like, Oh, I just like being out there and I don't have a problem busting mm-hmm. through cattails. And I've hunted with a few other people that aren't quite as tall or maybe, you know, maybe not as in good a shape and they, not that I'm in great shape, but, uh, they like to pheasant hunt in October. <laughs> they like yep. to walk grass. Yep. And once the snow falls and uh, the cattails become the, the main main habitat, they're done. They're on to yeah. ice fishing or deer hunting or whatever. Late season, we've talked about this before in the show, it's it's really finding the bedroom next to a kitchen, a place that's yeah. got thermal cover once there's snow on the landscape. And if there's food nearby, it's a pretty easy recipe for finding pheasants. And um, I think that's one of the reason why people like you and me, and there's plenty of others out there too, that really enjoy the late season. Your, your dogs aren't overheating. Um, and, uh, you know, the pheasants are pretty, pretty predictable. They, 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 they are where we thought they were, as I like to say. So, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, they're easier to find. Is that kind of channeling Denny green a little bit? Is that it's kind of, they are, yeah, they, yeah, they are, they are who, who we thought, thought they, they were. were. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> that brings up a couple of good points because I've, I've waded through a couple of the online Facebook group debates that have been raging lately about giving wildlife a rest, giving pheasant hunters, uh, giving pheasants a break from hunting. Uh, this obviously we're closed in Minnesota now, but before, before the season ended and then the discussion of feeding them comes up and then the discussion of what type of habitat. So uh, I I know we've already been going for quite a while, but I want to get into some of those topics like should people try to feed pheasants this year? And then, you know, what type of habitat is the best for, uh, for emergency winter cover? And, uh, and then when it comes to, to hunting, let's just start right there first. Uh, I mean, are there days where you'll say, I'm just, I, I, you know, you're strapping on your orange, you look out the window. It's like, no, I'm not going today. I'm going to give them a break. Yeah, I think I think from an ethical standpoint, every hunter sort of needs to make that personal decision. Um, for me, and the guidance that I would give people is like, if there's an if there's a nasty nasty storm coming in, and you know, yeah. you're going out the day before that and hunting pheasants when they're they're out, you know, trying to because they can feel the I'm not sure if it's pressure changes or what, but all wildlife, you know, they they typically know when those big events are coming, um, and they're out gearing up for it. So I really don't. I really don't like hunting pheasants before a huge system because you're you're pushing them out of the winter cover where they're at um and whether they get back to that or not if you are going to hunt them you know do it more in the morning and give them the afternoon to sort of relocate to where they need to be um that would probably be the one big ethical consideration but you know hunting hunting late season especially when conditions are difficult i think uh the other side of the coin is you know pheasants have a really really high turnover rate yeah. Um, you know, dis- despite whether we've got, you know, historic snow events or not. So um, taking taking the excess roosters out of the population isn't going to hurt anything. Um, it's, you know, it, if any, if anything, it's protect protecting the hens more in the winter cover so they aren't getting kicked out by by uh, those those bully roosters. So uh, those would be probably the, the couple considerations I would put out there for folks. 
Yeah, I think the biggest thing that I've looked at is if there, yeah, if there's a storm coming or some sort of event that's going to make it miserable for them, I let them, I let them get fat, you know, fatten up and uh, and find some cover and and ride the storm out. Then afterwards, or if the you know when the weather gets nice, then you know I I guess I personally don't have a problem going after them a little bit, um, especially late season if you've got a lot of roosters out there. I th- I think it's good to yeah. thin them thin them out just a little bit, and then when it comes to you know, obviously food plots are the key and having a habitat mosaic, which we can get more into in, in just a second. But um, when it comes to feeding the birds, now that's another debate that's come up and I've seen it come up about deer. And obviously nobody recommends feeding deer because of chronic wasting disease. That's all the, that's been all the news the last few years. But when it comes yep. to feeding pheasants, um, what, you know, obviously you don't, when you start feeding wildlife and you feed them to the point where they get dependent on you feeding them, that's obviously not, not a good situation. No, absolutely not. And it, you hit it on the head. Like I've gotten tons of email, maybe not tons, but I've gotten more, more than we have in the past three to four years. Cause we've had pretty, pretty mild winters. Um, lots of calls from people say like, Hey, do you guys, do you guys sell pheasant feeders or where can I get corn to, you know, like feed, feed in my backyard and this and that. And, there really isn't a scenario where pheasants forever quill forever even suggest feeding, even in like a historic event, I guess they called that, that first big snowstorm we had this year, just before Christmas. Um, unfortunately, there's many well-intentioned people out there who provide corn or other grains as food sources, and they actually harm pheasants more than they can help. Um, you know, number one, it, feeders really give predators a, a, a focus point similar to a bait pile. And it's, it's really rare for pheasants to starve, as we talked about at the beginning of the show. Um, they, uh, they, they've got a lot of things in their back pocket that they can focus on. Um, you know, like ragweed, for instance, giant ragweed, where they can find it actually has more caloric intake than, than corn or beans. And a lot of people hmm. don't know that where, where you have, where you have ragweed patches, man, the pheasants really key in on that stuff, but that, that's just one example, but you know, poorly placed feeders that can draw pheasants out and away from protective winter cover, they cause birds to congregate and expend energy competing for food. Um, and then, you know, the one point that you looked at right now, disease transfer, particularly of avian flu and how many waterfall that's killed in the, on this continent um, is, is another consideration that, that, that deserves, um, I think, a little bit of caution. And it is essentially a bait pile. So like in, in, you pointed out, in the age of CWD, it's illegal in a lot of cases yeah. uh, where people live. So we really don't focus on that. Uh, food plots, on the other hand, they're a function of habitat, right? Um, if designed correctly, uh, they can really take care of the issue. So square or block design food plots of three to 10 acres are preferable. Um, you know, you might as well design something. If, if you're relying on feeding's not going to, feeding's not going to save a, a whole pheasant population. You got to have the habitat elements and food plots are, are part of that. They can, they can play, uh, especially in the type of weather we're having now. Um, they can be really, they can be really good, but unfortunately for grassland birds, I think, you know, and sometimes I don't even like saying this, but the harsh reality is that they are designed, they're designed to die. They're designed to die with high turnover rates. Yet, you know, they can flourish as we saw, uh, you know, from this spring and this fall, um, when conditions are right, they can, they can really flourish. So um, that, I think people should keep that in mind and, and plan ahead of time, you know. Well, I, and yeah, pheasants live two years, you know, maybe three years. So they are, they are turning over pretty quick. And that's why those, those, the conditions in the spring and having that nesting cover is so important. Um, that, that winter thermal cover though, when you, when you're designing 
I think did David just show up? I think David's joining the show here in a second. That's why the <laughs> dogs are barking. Um, oh, good. When you, you know, say you've got 80 acres and right now it's just black dirt and you're, you're in charge of managing it, Jared, and you're, you're going to plant some grasses, maybe a mix. Uh, and then you're going to, you're going to be able to put a couple food plots in and, what are you going to do about winter cover and thermal cover? Like when, when, when people talk about having, you know, trees on the landscape and when you talk about prairie restoration, uh, that usually involves trees coming off the landscape. Uh, there's a difference yep. in, uh, I was reading this article from pheasants forever and there's a difference in, in tree height basically versus uh, like say trees, tall trees versus woody cover, which would be more of uh, that shorter uh, willowy shrub shrub type cover. What's what's yep. the idea when when if you were designing, a, um, you know, a landscape and you want to put some thermal cover in and some food plots, what are you going to do? Yeah, you know, I think um, number one, I talked to I talked to a pheasant pheasants forever quail forever biologist instead of a PR guy. But this, uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry, this, no, no, you're good. This specific article, um, uh, you know, pheasants don't grow in trees. I, I think it's probably one of the best articles I've ever written. It got a lot of a lot of comments online from folks, and really, it's it's really based on research. So when you look at you know trees in general. Grassland and trees, as I mentioned in the article, have really waged war for centuries uh, in North America here. But when it comes to our favorite upland species, pheasants in particular, undisturbed nesting cover and the associated nesting success with that remains the absolute choke point for upland birds. We just we just don't have enough of it. Um, are we having a really bad winter right now? Certainly, in in some places we are. Um, is you know in some of the drought stricken places we're getting some moisture back in the landscape, which is good, but um, we're, we're doing a podcast here, I think, at the end of the week um, that includes a couple different people, uh, including Rachel Bush, who is my colleague and staffer up in North Dakota. And I really think she says it best about, um, you know, that tree rows often break up big blocks of grassland habitat, inviting predators uh, to an upland species smorgasbord, as, as she says. And, you know, those trees that we hunt as humans you know, we're a predator. That's the same thing other predators uh, are using too. So I think um, looking at it from that standpoint, um, a lot of hunters fail to make that distinction between trees, stuff that grow higher. 15 feet is really the, the deck that we use. If it's higher than 15 feet, um, you need to be looking at more desirable woody cover. So things like uh, shrubs, like dogwoods, wild, wild plum bushes, nine bark. Um, there are certain types you know, um, we do give a bad rap to, you know, cedar trees and, and those types of things. Um, but, uh, you know, some of them are genetically changed now so that they really can't spread onto the landscape, uh, short stature, evergreens. Um, but making making a nice tree row uh, with a minimum of 15 rows, because, you know, a lot of people are like, well, I've got this, I've got this really nice, you know, three to three to four row shelter belt uh, of all the all the right native species. Well, that's that's not that's not stopping uh, that's not giving a place for upland birds to spend a winter and really bad ones like we're having now because that's all filled in with snow. So making sure you do it right, reading some of these articles, reaching out to a pheasants forever biologist, and then again on the food plot side, um, you know, putting it next to your your really high thermal or winter cover that you have, uh, along with you know making it three to ten acres. It's got to be big enough to sustain wildlife through an entire winter. Otherwise, otherwise it's a, it's a mute point. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I, I'm, I'm a little bit different than the the average pheasant. But during that blizzard, when I was standing behind my grove, it sure was a lot nicer than standing on the north, on the north oh, yeah. side of it. And there's some tall yeah. trees in there, and then a row of tall pines, and then uh, some corn and soybeans along the side of that. So, um, and there's even there's even programs out there through U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service um, and some of our other partners, and you have to you have to be able to apply for those um, and have the right conditions, soil types and whatnot. But, you know, really those, those wetland areas that have that desirable cattail cover that provides real thermal cover, like you were saying about when it's, when it's negative 40 and blowing outside, like it had been just a couple weeks ago, uh, inside those areas where pheasants can get in there and kind of create their own microclimates, it's above zero degrees. And it, uh, it really helps with the amount of calories that they're having to burn to, 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 to keep warm and survive during the winter. So uh, thermal cover is important. Just having the right thermal cover is important because I, you know, out here in Western Minnesota, a lot of trees are coming out and I'm hearing about it from a lot of the, a lot of the hunters and a lot of the pheasant hunters, a lot of the deer hunters too uh, are worried about it. So um, there is some research going into it. Uh, you know, I, I, do I always agree with it? No, but I don't always agree with everything the DNR does either, but uh, and I don't, I don't <laughs> I know think, if anybody I does, think, but... Look- Looking at it from the standpoint of a pheasant, I think is the biggest thing. Like if you're if you're a pheasant hunter, deer hunters, like can't really speak to that. I don't. I, yeah. I, I'm I'm a below average deer hunter. I'll tell you <laughs> that. Like I'll tell you that straight up. But like you know, uh, elm trees, cottonwoods, Siberian elm, buckthorn, prickly ash. There's a lot of undesirable species out there where people yeah. see those getting taken out and think like. Oh, it's going to hurt, you know, it's going to hurt our upland bird populations. Those, those types, those types of cover don't, don't do a darn thing for pheasants. So that's why we're focusing on native species and putting in shrubs or woody cover as opposed to trees. So anything that's above that 15 to 20 foot in height, um, you're, you're, you're asking for avian predators, foxes, skunks to move in and use those tree lines to get into your nesting cover. And, and uh, at the end of the day, it's going to be a detriment to your pheasant population more than if you if you wouldn't have taken those out. Yeah, you can take out every... Oh, look at that picture. That's a good one right there. Oh, look at that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can take out every cottonwood tree. I mean, me and my buddy Jason Markle last year sat and and tried to, tried to eliminate all the little volunteer cottonwoods that he had going up in his grass, man, those things spread like crazy. And, uh, th- those trees, I'm definitely not a fan of at all out there. No, so. I mean it, it, and you've done it. So like, if you're taking those out, all it takes is one or two years and you've lost control of your mm-hmm. primary nesting habitat, um, from letting those trees go. Cause those, you know, those get, uh, those get two inches or bigger, sort of that chest height. Those are turning into trees really, really quick. Um, and, pheasant nesting success just dive bombs when you have that you brought up um skunks and uh nest predators uh like raccoons the raccoon population i think is is crazy right now and i don't think that gets enough discussion you know when coy loffler and i took a trip down to missouri and back this spring to do a turkey trip we saw mm-hmm. more raccoons than we than than maybe we've ever seen out there and you know grand we we're spending a lot of time driving around and and covering a lot of miles but there were there were raccoons all over the place you know what 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 do you think we can do um, to try to, uh, you know, control that uh, population of those nest predators a little bit? Well, wh- one, of, one of the things uh, to control the predators themselves is dilution. So, like, it's, it's putting more habitat on the landscape because a lot of people talk about, like, well, I've got these I've got these linear buffer strips, you know, and I'm, I'm seeing a lot of raccoon activity. Well, 
if you're spreading those creatures out on a larger landscape and putting more habitat down, um, you're going to have less of an issue. I would say the other one is trapping too. And, and yeah. um, one thing I, you know, trapping, I think uh, is, is a topic that brings a lot of concern from, from upland hunters and bird, bird dog owners, especially, right. Cause they, there's that issue between maybe not issue, but you know, bird hunters uh, running into trappers uh, or running into traps during the season. And actually at right. Pheasant Fest this year, we've got uh, just a hardcore trapper, Jerry Snetsinger, who's been doing it for 40 years. He's called the trap doctor. Uh, he's coming to give uh, an awesome presentation about what you can carry with you in the field to make sure that you're not running into any issues and that trappers and upland hunters can work side by side. But outside of that, Pheasants Forever really recommends dilution. I mean, it's just putting quality habitat on the landscape, spreading out those predators so they aren't aren't given linear strips to go and, and focus on. And, you know, coyotes typically have been public enemy number one for upland hunters. Like, that, that's the reason why we don't have grassland birds. And at the end of the day, Coyotes are coyotes are eating uh, are eating your raccoons. Uh, there's not much that eats a skunk other than you know <laughs> maybe a stupid dog or owl, owls are about the only thing. They they don't have they don't have uh, olfactory sense. They can't smell, so they're about the only thing that will uh, that I've seen from from research out of Iowa State that'll actually eat them. I but, didn't know that. Yeah, That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, dumb dogs and and, uh, and owls. <laughs> and owls. <laughs> My dogs have been there. I I I, uh, I digress. But, I think everybody's uh, has. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I think just having a having a quality um, habitat plan in place, and um, you know, pheasants forever, quail forever. We're here to help with that. Well, I know there's those uh, dog dog proof tracks traps you can get for raccoons too. That yep. uh, coon cuffs. Coon yeah. Cuffs can yep. help help kind of control that population a little bit without putting your dog in danger. All right. Well, you brought up yep. Pheasant Fest because I want to tell people uh, they should watch for the billboards around Minneapolis. Maybe the greatest billboard ever in the history of billboards for Pheasant I Fest this so. year. Because, I think so. uh, I believe that's a picture you took, correct? It is. It is a picture. That picture, too. And that's I don't think that's the one on the billboard, uh, Dan. But if you go to like. Uh, Sorry. The Pheasant Fest. Pheasantsforever.org. You'll see it on the. On the top, there's a banner there that'll scroll across. But it, I just went for a walk with the dogs one day, just with the camera during the hunting season, and uh, they got real birdie on the edge of these cattails. And that rooster got up so close to me, I almost put the camera up just to defend myself because it was flying right at my, fa- <laughs> flying right at my yeah, face. Hit the shutter button, and thankfully I got a really fast shutter, and uh, it, uh, it, it took a couple of pictures that were surprisingly in focus and uh that's the one that's on the billboard and on that's on the website and all that so i appreciate you guys appreciate you guys using it yeah that that uh that photo is going to be strung out all over uh minnesota uh even over into wisconsin we've got 45 billboards that are going up right now to advertise for national pheasant fest and quail classic which is coming to the minneapolis convention center february 17th through the 19th and uh, if you've never been there before, or you haven't been there in a few years, it really is it's the largest gathering of upland hunters and bird dog owners uh, in, in North America, in the world. And it, it really is a fun, whether you're trying to figure, uh, figure out a training regimen for a new dog you might have, we have some of the best bird dog trainers in the country. You want habitat recommendations, we've got biologists standing by that'll look at your property on the aerial photo and uh, provide what you need um, to uh, have a successful grassland habitat plan in place um, to 
there's a lot of other things there as well. We're going to be discussing the new farm bill coming up. Um, you know, the North American Grasslands Conservation Act, Recovering America's Wildlife Act, big legislation that uh, can really be a turning point for, for pheasants and quail and other, other grassland wildlife. So lots of things to do, uh, over 400 exhibitors. And uh, I hope everybody will come out and join us at National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic on February 17th through the 19th. It's a fun show to do. And uh, I know it travels around, so it only comes back into Minnesota every few years. So it's nice yep. uh, uh, for people that don't, that can't or don't, uh, you know, aren't able to travel to, to it in other states. If they're here in the in Minnesota, this is a nice, nice and close opportunity for them to go to it. It's a lot of fun. And if you like, I mean, it's a chance to sit around and talk hunting with your buddies. And then then. So much there's so much advocacy done in the political you know realm when it comes to the farm bill and some of these other bills and sometimes it's yep. hard for somebody that doesn't live and breathe that stuff sometimes it's hard for them to comprehend and wade through all the the, the political speak to understand what's truly going on there so it's nice to be able to go to an event like this and speak to some of the people that it's their job to understand the ins and the outs of these bills and, uh, and learn a little bit more about, about what it means and how important it is to find ways to support these things. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think advocacy um, advocacy is underrated in this country. Yeah. Um, you need to have a voice for wildlife, and that comes through policy. And we've got uh, three to four just great people that are in Washington um, you know, weekly working on those types of things. So we're going to, we're hoping to have, we don't have, um, you know, names down yet, uh, but we're waiting for confirmation from some big time legislators uh, that hopefully are going to be at our event. Uh, we're looking at having some top brass from the U S fish and wildlife service. Um, the Minnesota DNR is going to play a big part this year. They've got a, they've got a large booth. If you want to come and learn about some of the, some of the awesome relationships or partnerships that we have with them, uh, you know, come on out, but everything from guns and gear to bird dogs to habitat management. Uh, we've got some banquets that are already sold out by the way, which is awesome, uh, in the evening. But one thing people can look forward to, uh, as well is the Thursday night before the show starts. So I believe uh, that'll be the 16th Thursday evening of the 16th. We've got an Upland Film Festival. We're going to be bringing five different films to the poorhouse uh, in downtown Minneapolis. It was a wonderful event last time. And if you want to meet some some like-minded people, um, that's a that's a great place to do it. So we've got some short films uh, from Project Upland and a whole bunch of different partners. So I would encourage people to get a ticket for that because it's going to sell out pretty fast. Yeah, that'd be fun to go to. And then, Dan, one of these years we've got to make a got to make a film for that. Gonna get that done. Sure, yeah, do it, do it. Yeah, I'd love to see it for sure. All right, Jared. Well, um, where can we find out more about uh, Pheasant Fest? And then, if we want to learn more about you know uh, putting in ha the proper habitat or learning more about trees on the prairie and all of that good stuff, where can we find all that info? Yeah. Um, so you can go to pheasantsforever.org, pheasantsforever.org. Or if you want to uh, learn more about Pheasant Fest, it's just pheasantfest.org. Um, we've got all sorts of, uh, you can click on the stories tab at pheasantsforever.org and, and check out all the all the great stories. Um, uh, cooking recipes we have, Kang, Kang Yang at Minnesota Hunter just put up one for pheasant curry. Uh, that's a real winner. So I, I encourage people to go on there and check it out. And Hope that you'll join us here in uh, just a few months uh, for National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic. Do you know who's going to be speaking yet or anything or doing seminars? Um, seminar schedule is going to go up here shortly. Uh, we've got, uh, you know, as far as dog trainers go, we've got some really 
some of the best ones throughout the country. Um, you know, Perina, Sport Dog are going to be there um, and all the top trainers that go with them. So people can watch for uh, a full rundown of that. That'll be on the site here. Uh, due, due, due dates for uh, some of our seminar stuff were just a few weeks ago, and it's going to be put up here uh, around January 6th and afterwards. So you can watch for that. And it, uh, we're going to have the show guide on there as well here shortly. Very good. The 2023 National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic, February 17th to 19th, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Jared Wickland, Pheasants Forever. Thanks for the time today on the show. Thanks, Brett. Appreciate it. Ice fishing season is here. This winter, plan a trip to Devil's Lake, North Dakota. Not only will you have the chance to catch their legendary perch, but this year, Haybale Heights has been catching big walleye after big walleye. And they're doing it from a mobile, comfortable snow bear. No matter how cold it is outside, you're warm and toasty on the inside. Learn more and book a trip today at haybaleheights.com. That's haybaleheights.com. Live Target, the leader in Match the Hatch, is back with new lures that also match the action. Introducing the Live Craw. The Live Craw is irresistible to bass, walleye, and other freshwater species. FTEX winner, the ultimate frog, looks and acts just like a swimming frog. With an exposed ultra point mustad hook and replaceable legs, the ultimate frog has two styles, two sizes, and eight colors. And ICAST and FTEX winner, the live shrimp mimics a fleeing shrimp for saltwater anglers. Coming soon from Live Target. Come ice fish the famous waters of Minnesota's Lake of the Woods, the walleye capital of the world. Experience full service resorts featuring heated fish houses, ice transportation, meal plans, and sleeper house options. From the Northwest Angle to the South Shore, Rainy River and Baudette, the Midwest's number one ice fishing destination. Walleye, sauger, perch, and northern pike, Minnesota's Lake of the Woods, best fishing anywhere. For more information, log on to LakeOfTheWoodsMN.com. Hi, this is Sporting Journal Radio. I'm Brett Amundsen. Thanks for tuning in right here, wherever you're watching slash listening to this. Uh, Dan Amundsen and David Eckhart with us right over there as well. And Joe Henry from Lake of the Woods Tourism is going to join us right now. Uh, Joe, we've just been here in western Minnesota digging out of the snow. Uh, I, I think this last storm, I don't think it made it all the way up to Lake of the Woods, did it? No, it didn't. No, we missed uh, with the big blunt of the snow, which is great because uh, it gives us the opportunity to just have that much uh, easier traveling conditions, I guess. Yeah, and fishing, it sounds like it's been pretty good. And, you know, I, I've been seeing nice walleyes coming out of Lake of the Woods, of course, already this winter, but um, also been seeing, you know, sturgeon and eel pout and some of the other species. And I feel like, well, you know, Lake of the Woods is a walleye capital, but uh, more and more people are getting excited about some of these other fish to catch. And I mean, that's Lake of the Woods and Rainy River, of course, world-class fisheries for, for sturgeon and some of these other fish, including the state record eel power, right? It is, yeah. In fact, the, the last few state record eel power, um, the current one is right around 19 and a half pounds. And uh, I'll tell you, there have been some, there have been so many big eel power caught this year, and a lot of them. I mean, uh, um, yeah, just, I mean, every every time you turn around on social media, people are holding up monster eel pout, and they, they put up a good fight. They, uh, they, they, they're they delicious table fare. You know, they, they call eel pout poor man's lobster. It's a yeah. freshwater cod. They call it a burbot. Uh, they call it a lawyer. There's a lot of different names for a, an eel pout. You know, for people that aren't so in tune with ice fishing, you know, just know that it wasn't that long ago, maybe 15 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, 15 years ago maybe, that you'd go up to Lake of the Woods and you'd see eel pout 
scattered occasionally across the ice. Anglers would catch them and they'd throw them out on the ice. And uh, I'll never forget the time that I was driving on the lake and I, I thought I saw somebody ice fishing. Well, lo and behold, it wasn't anybody ice fishing. It was a big eagle eating an eel pout. But they used to be thrown on the ice. And eventually over time, people started realizing that, hey, this is considered freshwater cod. It's in the cod family. And if you you know take that meat out of the back strap and the, the back two tail pieces, you cube it, and then you boil it in either a um, 7-Up or salt water. In fact, I just heard a new recipe. Some guys on uh, Facebook said that they were uh, boiling it in uh, water with that seasoning. With what seasoning? And uh, that Old Bay seasoning. It's mm. kind of a traditional seafood seasoning. And uh, But anyway, you know, you, you, you boil them like that, and then you dip it in melted butter. And the consistency is a little bit more firmer white meat. Very, very tasty. And, uh, you know, so now it's so, so funny. It used to go from, hey, you know, these things are gross. Get that thing out of the fish, they'll throw in the ice to, you know what? And by the way, it's illegal throwing fish on ice. It's called littering. So don't yeah. ever do that. But now it's like, man, I hope I catch an eel pout or two and I'm up there walleye fishing because, you know, we want to we wanna have them as an appetizer. Um, you know, the, the other thing about eel pout is uh, they're just kind of a cool looking fish. You know, people talk about how when you grab them, they wrap around your arm and they don't really wrap around your arm. That tail curls up, but they don't wrap around your arm. I got to tell you a really funny story. Oh, tell, I, I know the story you're talking about, Joe. I was just going to ask you to tell it anyway because it's hilarious. Oh, gosh. We're on the same page. It's pretty funny. Yeah. Well, you know, I was at uh, the St. Paul Ice Fishing Show, and I had some young guys come up from the Twin Cities, and they came up and talked to me at the booth uh, a couple years ago. And uh, they said, yeah, man, we made it at the Lake of the Woods for the first time. So much fun. We're going again. Every year now it's tradition, da-da-da. And, uh, oh, yeah, man, I caught my first eel pout. I go, oh, cool, man. Congrats. How did that, how'd that go for you? Goes, well, I got to tell you, man, it was weird. He says, I caught this steel pout, and you know, you grab it, and they kind of squirm around. They're hard to grab. And I, I looked at this thing, and I just, man, I was just weird looking. So that night, you know, it was time to hit the rack. I, I was sleeping on the top bunk. I went up on the top bunk and started laying there, and I was just kept thinking about this steel pout. Just kind of freaking me out, man. I couldn't sleep. So finally, I got down, put covers on all the holes. It went back to bed. <laughs> well, you know, I, mean, I don't know what to say. Like it's a snakehead and it's going to come crawling yeah. out of the lake or something. Yeah, you know. But hey, it made him feel more comfortable and I realized he could fall asleep then. God bless him. Wow. I th- you know, I th- people call them ugly or whatever trash fish. I think they're I think they're way cool looking. Uh, and, and I'll tell you what, the fight, I, I don't know how many times we've hooked into to nice sized eel pout and think that it's a monster walleye on there. I mean, after a little while, you'll you'll start to get to it has a little bit of a different tug to it. But the, we, we've been tricked many times thinking you got a big walleye on when you're catching catching one of those eel pout, and they're they're fun to catch. Oh, they are. Well, and you're so right though, because there are times like when you. Oh no, not the eel pout slap. You remember this one? <laughs> oh, man. oh no. For, for for listeners, uh, for listeners out there, Danny's showing a uh, old Facebook video of uh, you know, somebody having a few uh, few too many barley sodas, and uh, one of them getting slapped with an eel pout in the fish cleaning house by, by, by its tail. But uh, you know, um, <laughs> when you look at when you look at their backs and the coloring on them, their coloring is really cool. And then they yeah. know that they're like basically they're basically dormant in the summer months. You know, they I mean, you hardly ever catch one. Once in a great while, you hear of an eel pup being caught in the summer, but they come to life when that ice hits and, uh, you know, it's, it's a real cold water fish. And the spawn balls, uh, just, there's just so many interesting things about them. I, I think they're fun to catch and I'm glad well, people- Talk about, just talk, like, like there's a lot of people that don't understand how they spawn. Explain that spawn ball. 
Can we find some video of it? Because it's going to be easier yeah, just buy to Buy me some time. Okay. <laughs> Tap, dance a little bit here. <laughs> well, it's, they, they, they just, it's a big ball of fish. I mean, I don't know how else to describe it. You're doing a bad job so far. Yeah. <laughs> That's well, why I said find, what happens, find a video. So what happens is all these eel pulp get together, and honestly, it's like a ball. They're all swimming amongst mm -hmm. each other. It's almost like they're re-sliming each other, but they're all in a big ball. And that spawning ritual takes place under the ice. Normally, I think it's in the month and towards the end of February, typically. And, uh, you know, it, it's but it's amazing. They all get together like that. And uh, it's just it's, it's incredible footage. But, again, very unique fish. Now, is actually getting to a point where some people start targeting them. And, oh, yeah. uh, you know, it, it's it, – and actually, Brett, remember we talked about last year how the DNR made them a sport fish, right? Yeah, yeah, which I think is good. And I think having limits on these fish is something that's been been uh, necessary for a while. Um, I'm just watching this footage here. I'm trying to find the spawn ball here, sure. not just people fishing. This is from yeah. Angling Buzz, by the way. This is pretty cool underwater footage of – but, it, but it's great underwater footage. It's even fun just to see how they swim and how they take a bait and, you know. Yeah, <laughs> they're cool fish. Uh, and I think the increased popularity is is the reason why they're going to be managed as game fish and why you need to have limits on a fish like this. Because And now most of the people that are targeting them are catching and releasing them. That's the other great thing about it. I mean, I, I have no problem with somebody wanting to keep some to eat some. You know, we ate some crappies uh, last night. They were delicious. I'm all about eating them, uh, just not taking more than you need. And obviously, if you're going to sit and target a fish, you know, all night or for a couple of days, or if you're on a trip, you don't need to keep every one that you that you catch. Um, oh, and the glow, that's cool. Well, not really. Just seeing some really cool uh, fishing footage here. <laughs> <laughs> some eel pout. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, this, yeah. <laughs> I was I was lied to. That's funny. But you That's know they, they are they are cool fish, and you know the other, I think uh, you know in addition to eel pot, we talked about once in a while you'll hook into a sturgeon, you'll catch yeah. tulies. You know tulies people call them whitefish, but really on Lake of the Woods, almost all the time they have whitefish on Lake of the Woods, but whitefish is a different kind of fish. Mm -hmm. You know you got your tulies, and I think your tulies have more of. A, Right? Don't they have more? Do they have an underbite or overbite? I always get conf I always get them mixed up. Which one is which? The the jaw is just a little bit different. I think the fins are just a hair different. And then um, the whitefish are a little have a little bit of a golden tint to them, whereas the tulabies are very silver. The whitefish get larger; they get to be five, six, seven, eight pounds, whereas tulabies typically are in that one to two pound range, if if not smaller. And uh, but uh, yeah, I'll tell you, you know, um, but the tulabies, most people don't eat. Most people don't eat them, like fry them up. What they normally do is they'll clean them up and then they'll, uh, um, you know, actually just uh, smoke them. And so they're the, real good smoke. Yeah, the whitefish has a snout that overhangs the lower jaw, and the lower jaw of the cisco or tulabi extends up to or beyond the tip of the snout. So the whitefish so the, has so got the, the overbite. The has an overbite and the uh, tulabi has an underbite. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, we've smoked tulabies. Uh, they're delicious. I, I, I think they're, you know, to me, it's almost like a trout, basically. Uh, I think they're, I think they're fun. I think they're fun to catch too. I mean, show me a fish that really isn't that much fun to catch. I think, you know, this is, this isn't really controversial, but I think people will tell you that while walleyes get to be targeted most of the time, sometimes they're the least fun to catch. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's more of a no. mental, mental thing trying to catch them and trying to trick the walleye. But the fight of, you know, say a tulabi or a, or an eel pout or a, or a sturgeon might be better than a walleye. Well, you know, you got to, Danny would tell you, got to start fishing in body water as bigger walleyes. 
<laughs> it wouldn't matter for him. Let's be real. <laughs> Come not. on. I thought I'd just this. throw a little gas in the fire between you boys. But I mean, it. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, mean, I will say a this: big so, wall. Know, so we talked about the multi-species. You know, the other thing is uh, pike, and uh, you know, a lot of t- pike get targeted most of the time on Lake of the Woods in March. You know, with tip-ups because you know pike aren't a, sp- uh, a schooling fish, but they get congregated in the same areas prior to the spawn, pre-spawn, and they're real hungry so but but you know it's funny because when you're fishing on lake of the woods so many so many walleye anglers catch big big pike i hear about every single day and we're talking big pike we're talking 20 plus pounders it's just amazing how many big pike there are in the system i had a resort owner say to me recently what are we going to do about the problem with all these big pike in the lake and i'm like what <laughs> you know everybody has a different perspective on them you know they're eating all the walleyes what yeah <laughs> but yeah. uh and then, of course, you know, uh, um, the other thing is jumbo perch. And, um, you know, I mean, there's a lot of big perch. You don't catch a lot of perch on Lake of the Woods typically, but when you do, they're normally just sleds. Um, Brett, I got a good one for you. I got a good story for you. So uh, I talked to two different parties this year that were ice fishing on Lake of the Woods. And in both cases, eel pout were coming under the ice and hitting their transducer. Really? I've heard of that. Hmm. Yeah, it, you know, that puts out vibration. Mm-hmm. And I think those fish are probably more sensed to their the, the vibration and, and uh, the scent and things like that, even more so than their sight. Hmm. And, you know, think about it. They're, they're right away, and actually a lot of those fish, big fish, predators, sometimes they'll cruise right under the ice. It's not uncommon to be looking down at your hole, looking at your bobber, and all of a sudden you see a monster pike go right under the hole. Well, the reason they're cruising under the ice they're scavengers. If they can get a meal for free and not have to chase it down, they're going to do it. And a lot of the fish, the smaller saugers or walleyes, some of them don't make it and some of them mm. end up under the ice. So they come by and just get a free meal. Well, you know, eel pelt were coming down to the point where they were hitting that transducer. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, the guy just said, hey, let me look for my transducer. I'm going to drop my spoon down. As soon as you dropped it down, bang, you got that fish, you know. All right, new challenge, Dan and David. Next time, our next trip to Lake of the Woods, which is coming in a couple of weeks, we're going noodling for eel pout under the ice. I don't know if you can noodle in Minnesota <laughs> legally. No, probably, yeah. probably not. No, can't do that. <laughs> Dang it! But we'd end up doing it, and it'd be a big pike would come up and yeah. grab a hold of our thumb or something. Hey, death equals ratings. Yeah. <laughs> I'm That's filming. Right. Well, we're excited. We're, we're coming up there as a part of a, an aglow trip coming up here in a couple of weeks, Joe. I'd assume we're going to see up there for that as well. Yeah, hoping, uh, hoping to be up there. You know, it uh, conflicts with uh, a Chicago sports show I have a little bit, but we'll mm. uh, got to see what we can do. And uh, uh, But I'm excited. I mean, that you know, we've been up on a fish house together before, and I'll tell you, you know, when we, when we get up there, there's good fishing to be had. Obviously, we create good content, good media. We're always with people from the industry. We're good folks. A lot of the folks have never been to Lake of the Woods before, which is always kind of neat. And you know what? Work hard, play hard. We always have a good time, don't we? Absolutely. And for for those of you wondering what a glow is, if you're an outdoor uh, communicator, writer, uh, podcaster, whatever, consider the Association of Great Lakes Outdoor Writers, and you get to go places like Lake of the Woods with guys like us. So, uh, but you should come anyway and be a part of it. So, uh, consider joining uh, a glow, and uh, you can learn more about it. Uh, a glow outdoors. Dot com is that the website, Joe? I should know this. You should know this. Yeah, I should know. Go that. to the outdoor feed. There you go. Plug the outdoorfeed.com. Yeah. yeah. Aglowoutdoors.com or uh, aglowinfo.org or the outdoorfeed.com. And that is something that you can just follow to get the latest outdoor content created by members of Aglow. And uh, we'll be up at Lake of the Woods in a couple of weeks. So you know, Brent, I, I should mention too, you know, with the glow, I mean, uh, 
you know, a globe brings together um, destinations. It brings together companies that are in, in outdoor focused, and it also brings together media that are outdoor focused. And by bringing those three different groups of people together, they have programs for people that are in high school and college. If you're a, you know, someday you want to get into that thing, there's scholarships available, but you know, you get together, it's networking, it's education, and it's a, it's a professional deal. You know, I have the ability by being part of a globe, not only as a destination, but also as an outdoor media person for myself, I have the, uh, the privilege of rubbing elbows with some very, very talented communicators and we call it uh, the association of great lakes outdoor writers that's that's what its name was from way back and we keep it but this is way more than writing it's 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 the most cutting edge uh forms of communication and media that there are out there and we got some people uh that are part of our organization that are are very skillful at it yeah i call it content creators basically it's a whether they're writers or uh, TV hosts or podcasters, radio guys, we're all creating outdoors content. So it's outdoors content creators. And we, you know, we get together, we get to uh, share some experiences and learn from each other and then tell people about the outdoors. It's a, it's a pretty neat organization. It's been a lot of fun. And we have no fun on these trips either, Joe, none at all. Well, and I I will say too, I mean, it's neat, the the diversity um, that's part of the glow. We got all different sorts of people, different age groups, men and women. I mean, you name it, we got them. And, uh, and we encourage people to join. It's, it's a very good group, very welcoming group. It's not expensive to be part of this, the association. You know, uh, a lot of our, our very gracious sponsors will put money towards the program. They believe in it so much. And that offsets the cost of, of us being part of it. So it's just a really a neat deal. And if you are interested in that sort of thing, I would say look into it. But, uh, um, yeah, Brett, uh, we have no fun at these meetings. It's yeah. all work, no play. And, uh you know what? It's why I have such a headache when I go home after. That's that. right. <laughs> and Dan, pull up the outdoor feed because if you're not an outdoor content creator, but just somebody that likes to learn more about the outdoors, we've got all, all of these members that have been doing this. You know, the organization is 70 years old or whatever it is, and there's you know uh, uh, hundreds of members that are that make up uh, a glow, and they're constantly sharing information about the outdoors, neat stories, tips. Uh, destination travel tips, travel ideas, uh, how to catch fish, how to use this tech, you know, how to do this technique. Hey, there's a picture of David. Hey, there it is. Look at that, that guy. Look at that guy. D- David's story, our podcast, uh, other podcasts, all sorts of outdoor information, all in one place at the Outdoor Feed. Uh, outdoorfeed.org, or you can follow the Outdoor Feed on Twitter. You can follow it on uh, Facebook as well. If you're on LinkedIn, you can follow it there too. So it's, uh, it's all in one place for you. So, all right, Joe, if people want to plan a trip to Lake of the Woods, what should they do for more info? It's prime time, baby. Come on up. You know what? Uh, Lake of the Woods, MN.com. Sporting Journal Radio is a division of Macaba LLC. If you've got a question, comment, or story idea for us, send us an email. Go to sportingjournalradio.com. While you're there, you can learn how to advertise on the show and visit our store for hats, hoodies, coffee mugs, and more. Go to sportingjournalradio.com.